Paging Dr. Randy. Paging Dr. Randy. I just got on call and they're paging me already. They want me to do work as soon as I get to work. Come on. Let's go. Yes, you. Come on. Well, I'm Dr. Randy. Nice to meet you. I'm a licensed family medicine physician. Since you're on call with me today, I want to make sure you learn as much as possible. Me and a few of my special friends are here to give you all the tips and info you need to live a balanced, healthy life. Are you ready to be on call with me? I hope so. So let's get it going. Our shift starts right now. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. I hope that you're having a great week. If you're listening at the end of the week, I hope you had a great week. If you're feeling weak, I hope you feel better. I, I think I covered all variations of the word weak. But welcome back to On Call with Dr. Randy. Let's get on topic. This week, I have on my good friend and podiatrist, Dr. Portia Melcher. We both attended Prairie View A&M University together. And she went on to podiatry school at Kent State University of Podiatric Medicine in Independence, Ohio. In this episode, we'll discuss all things feet, including toenail fungus, bunions, and what you need to do to keep your feet healthy. So let's get off on the good foot and get this conversation going. And if you haven't done so already, follow me on my social media handles at underscore Dr. Randy and fill out my short survey in the show description. Real simple, short survey. I would greatly appreciate it. So let's get this episode going with podiatrist Dr. Portia Melcher. So what's up, healthy people? Welcome to another episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. I have Dr. Portia Melcher, my good friend from undergrad, and also one of the few people who has made a shot over me in basketball and that I'm still <laughs> upset about. Ah, oh, man. Uh, back to our Duke summer days. It's just, it's just embarrassing, but, but I, I'll be all right for it. What's good, Dr. Melcher? Oh, not that much. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on with me. So Dr. Melcher is a podiatrist, and I wanted to have her on talk about some foot health topics today. So what made you become a podiatrist? Long, short. Um, I don't know if you remember that class we had in, in college, like freshman year, it was like intro to medicine or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we had a podiatry uh, school representative come and talk to us about podiatry. I knew what it meant in terms of it dealt with feet, but I wasn't exactly sure all that it entailed. And the representative mentioned uh, mentioned to shadow a doctor and kind of learn more about it. I ended up shadowing a guy that first spring break of our first year um, and actually stayed in contact with him for quite some time. And I ended up loving it because it was a little bit of everything you saw young, old, in between, you, you do not just palliative care, you do surgery and trauma and wound care and all the things I like, all the, the nasty, gritty stuff I really enjoy doing um, that, I, that I don't shy away from. So it was perfect. Okay. All right. What did you see during that week that you shadowed during spring break that kind of really like sparked your interests? The first thing I remember that I can just think of off the top of my head was I saw Ingrown. Uh, ingrown on this teenager, he might have been 13, 14, uh, had these incurvated nails and they were genetic for him, uh, but they were infected. And I saw the doctor take them out in office. And so I was like, OK, like that, that didn't seem too difficult to do. And he helped alleviate this young guy's pain. And they were very appreciative. And I said, OK, I think I can do something like that. All right. So what all things does a podiatrist do? I know y'all do more than just ankle, toenail, Achilles stuff. What all things come your way? <laughs> We're like the, what's that song, that song by Shirley Season, Meat, Greens, Potatoes, you name it, we do it. So it's similar <laughs> to that. <laughs> uh, we do nail care, diabetic foot care, which is very uh, integral in our community, um, Wound ulcerations, um, venous stasis ulcerations, diabetic foot ulcerations, pressure ulcerations, uh, trauma, crush injuries, open fractures, um, ankle fractures, ankle scopes, minimally invasive surgery, open surgery, bunions, hammer toe correction, uh, corns, calluses, uh, plantar plantar fibroma, plantar fasciitis, uh, heel spurs, everything you could think of, we do it. 
before taking this job on, when you took on this job, did you think you were going to be doing so, so much surgery with this job? Um, I think I was going to do a lot of surgery. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really have an idea about surgery in terms of how much or how little. I knew it was pretty much dependent on what I wanted to do and what I saw in the office because that's where you get a lot of your surgical patients is based on, you know, consults in the hospital or inpatient. I mean, patients that come in your office that come in for uh, one thing and then it leads to another. So I knew it would be more about how assertive I was in terms of or aggressive I was um, in terms of, you know, seeking out patients and also patients coming to me. Um, but I enjoy it. It's, it's what you make of it, honestly. Some, pa some podiatrists don't do any surgery. And some do nothing but surgery. Okay. So let's get into some of the common foot ailments that people come to see you for. So Dr. Melcher okay. is going to break down some of these common um, categories of foot ailments that patients come in to see her for. So the first thing we're going to start off with is corns and calluses. So what is a corn and what is a callus? So corns and calluses typically develop from friction, irritation, rubbing, pressure of the skin. And the body itself wants to protect itself from that pressure by thickening itself. And as a result, you either get a corn, that, which is typically on the top of a toe. So for those who have hammer toes or um, even bunions, you can get uh, irritation from the shoes, uh, from that repeat, repeated friction or rubbing that basically thickens that skin and causes a soft corn or a hard corn. Um, the calluses, they're similar in nature, but they're just in different location. Typically, they're on the plantar aspect of the foot or even the plantar medial or lateral aspect. Don't worry about all that scientific term. Just it's typically on the bottom of your foot. <laughs> um, and it's just a lot of times it's common due to ill-fitting shoes. Um, I notice that a lot of my geriatric or just older patients, um, especially those in their 80s or 90s, you know, there was a time where they had hand-me-downs or they just wore just bad quality shoes because of the times. And they develop these deformities. Um, well, they develop these corns and calluses from that um, due to the deformity of the toes, the contracture of the toes. And then it led to corns and calluses. Um, I actually had a lady today that wasn't even a patient. She escorted another patient in and she had corns across all 10 of her toes. And she was like, I can tell you exactly. When. <laughs> Remind me of Myra from Martin. Um, <laughs> but you got to go to work on Myra feet. <laughs> And trust me, I wear goggles and mask and hairnet, and I'm looking like Martin. That Sinead ain't working on his feet. Um, but uh, <laughs> she she said it was, she remembered exactly how she got her corns. It was because she wore a pair of shoes for like two straight years that were ill-fitting that she wanted to wear because they were her favorite pair of shoes. And I'm like, yeah, you 56 years old now, you're paying for what you did when you were seven years old because you didn't want to get out of these shoes. So that's that's not uncommon. Long so short. what are the most common... <laughs> what are the most common shoes that cause corns and calluses? Is it women's it's, it's, heels it's, or is boots? Um, it's a combination of everything. It's it's more so the the fitting of the shoe. I mean, heels do us no favor down the road, but they're cute and they look good. And in certain outfits, you have to wear which <laughs> wear heels with. But I tell people just try to find the most comfortable shoes. I mean, if you have to have a wedge, make sure it's comfortable. Wedges are typically more comfortable than a six inch stiletto. Um, six inch stilettos just usually aren't comfortable in general, unless you're Beyonce where all you do is wear heels and then it's hard to wear a flat shoe. Um, but ill-fitting shoes in general, like some people will, men included, will squeeze their feet into a size 11 Jordan because that's the only one that's on the show that they want this new shoe. And they really wear a size 13 and they'll be in the club or wherever they are wearing this 11 shoe, knowing their feet hurt and their feet are crumbled up in this shoe. And at least other issues down the road. I haven't done that before. Buy shoes too small. I bought some shoes one time too big, <laughs> some hyper dunks, just because I wanted to get them. But that that was straight mm -hmm. foolish of me. And big. I'm gonna buy a size size 16, but I wanted to rock them. And size going up too big can be an issue too, because then you have too much space. And now your foot is moving up, you know, moving in the shoe too much and that can cause issues. So some people think if I go to go a little bit bigger, that's better. Not necessarily. Sometimes it could be you really just need to go a nine and a half wide instead of a nine, you know, or 10. Instead of going to up to a 10, just go to that nine and a half wide to give you the width you need for the shoe. 
which is hard to find nowadays. Okay. okay. So sometimes as well, I kind of looked it up and saw on the research that some repetitive movements can cause calluses and corns. Are there any that you know of offhand of repetitive movements as far as where people work at or athletes that can cause them to have calluses and corns? It's just it more so comes back to the the fitting of the shoe, because if the shoe is ill fitting, everything, every motion you're going to do like a LeBron James, if he has an ill fitting shoe for his foot type. And I don't know if if you've seen his feet, but yeah, he has a lot of work that needs to be done. But I'm pretty sure Nike makes a specific shoe with his foot in mind for him. So when he's wearing his size 16, 17 on the court, it's not a typical 16, 17 on the shelf. Um, so those are things that are important, making sure your shoes fit correctly, because that friction and pressure comes from the ill fitting of the shoe. Um, if it's too snug and you have bunions and hammer toes that cause your toe to deviate outwards or upwards in the shoe and the toe area is not accommodative to that. Well, even though you're walking fine, eventually it's going to rub and irritate that area. And that's how a lot of times you see older patients, just patients in general with pretty large bunions and you can see the bump on their shoe. Because that shoe is not wide enough for that foot deformity. So I heart to my patients every day, please get the right pair of shoes. I recommend certain shoes to them. And for those who are diabetic, I make sure I get them diabetic shoes as a preventative measure. Because unfortunately, in this day and age, with a lot of the insurances, they rather something go wrong and then pay for it than to prevent something from going wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for people buying shoes online? Because I know you mentioned that. You want the proper fitting shoe, but now with the age of the internet, a lot of us are being buying shoes that we haven't even tried on as of yet. Like I'm buying casual shoes, I'm buying Jordans, I'm buying boots. Like, what kind of tips would you give somebody to find the proper shoe for them? I think um, the biggest thing is for those who are older, who are more seasoned in ordering shoes, just staying true to what you know now. For example, you know, uh, I wear, I'll use myself for example, I wear an eight to eight and a half uh, US size, but that's like a 38 European. So I know what size shoe I wear. I've tried on different shoes and, and I stay kind of true to that. And I know, and I also read reviews on the shoes as well. I read reviews and see what the consensus is about the shoe. Does it run small? Does it run too big? Is it too wide? And I pay attention to those things. And in certain styles of shoes, I'm pretty much accustomed to wearing. So I just learned, I've learned my foot. Now, some things you just don't go in the store and try on, but you just kind of generally work around that consensus of what you're used to. Um, and then just find shoes based on that. A lot of these companies, because the malls are becoming outdated in terms of people don't really go to the stores as much, they are allowing you to order a shoe. And then if it doesn't fit, ship it back within a certain time. And they'll, they'll adjust. Like, for example, I ordered a pair of uh, loafers from, uh, from this company and I ordered the right size that I'm used to wearing, but I got it and it was a little too snug. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. So I sent it back to them shortly after I got the shoes and they honored it. They reimbursed me my money and they said, hey, you know, please try us again. Okay, that's some good tips right there. So let's talk about more about treatment options for corns and calluses. I know you can purchase uh, foot pads, donut pads, sleeves. Give us uh, some tips on treatment options for corns and calluses. So I'm not a big fan of using the acid padding and cushions because they actually eat the good skin with the bad skin. And so a lot of times they can end up having raw skin that's very painful. And for those who may be diabetic, neuropathic, or just have conditions where they're not able to feel their feet or check their feet regularly, that can end up being a disaster waiting to happen in terms of you end up developing this raw skin or infected skin and you don't realize it and it just kind of balloons into something else. So I'm just not a fan of that. Um, I'm usually a big fan and I, I preach this daily. I actually have a printout that I've typed up and given out to patients about just soaking their feet in warm water with Epsom salt. One, it feels good. It's always good to be off your feet and have something to ease your pain. And then using like a pumice stone or emery board or even a pedic. I tell my patients just go Go down to TJ Maxx, CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, Amazon has everything or even the Dollar Tree. And you can get, you know, for $5, you can get about three or four different things, you know, maybe even well, five different things for $5. Um, and then you can have five pumice stones or five pet eggs to 
take care of those areas and just kind of smoothing those areas down while the skin is nice and soft because it's easier. It's not as painful versus if you're trying to do that on hard and dry skin, it's just a lot more tender. You're not going to really, you're going to be more ginger with it. You're not going to really get at it the way you probably would if it was nice and soft and just not as, you know, painful. I've never heard of that before. What is it called again? A hummus stone? A pumice stone. P-U-M-I-C-E. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're like the little blocks. They look like they look like a brick, mm-hmm. but they have like these little holes in them and they, they just smooth down callous hard skin. So for people that have built up callous hard, like their heels are really hard. I know we've all seen somebody with some sandals and the heel is out and it looks a little rough. <laughs> and, and so you, you can soak your feet and just hit that, hit, hit them, hit that, you know, that heel real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in addition to doing it, I tell people, please apply cringe and lotions. This is a PSA for all men. Do not just put lotion on the parts of your legs or body that we can see. Mm-hmm. So even though your feet are covered in socks, still please put lotion on because that skin can get hard and crack and fissure. And it's just dry skin doesn't feel good. It leads to pain. That's just my it personal leads opinion. infections. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had people have cracked heels with fissures and it got infected. And it's, just, it's, it's a challenge to heal because of the location. It takes a little longer to heal. They do heal with time as long as you're healthy and everything's in place. But that's just my opinion. I think it's just easier to just do preventative care and maintenance than waiting for something to go wrong. All right. And if you can't reach your feet, this is sarcasm, but it's also true. <laughs> if you can't reach your feet, have somebody else, if they can and they're willing to lotion your feet for you. They might have to put some gloves on because you might have some dry skin (laughs) down there, but you definitely should keep your feet moisturized. I've seen a lot of patients come and see me with some dry skin, look like they've been kicking flour, and Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing So, because they hadn't been kicking flour at all or working at Popeye's or something like that. Yeah, yeah so. I've had patients that I, I'm like, hey, what's going on with your feet? Like, you just not going to put lotion on them? And then they come back and they're like, Dr. Melcher, like, I put lotion on my feet because I didn't want you, you know, talking about my feet this time. So I listened to you and so I'm grateful. So, yeah, just take care of your feet. You only get one. Well, yeah, you only get one pair. I, they, they haven't had a foot transplant yet. Mm-hmm. So let's move on. So we're going to move on to plantar fasciitis. So this is a very common foot ailment. I've had this before. So break down plantar fasciitis for us. Oh, good old plantar fasciitis. How I love thee. Um, so it's, so there's a plantar fascia band that attaches from the post, the plantar posterior aspect of the heel. There's a little notch at the bottom of our heel called the medial tubercle. Don't worry about all that. It just attaches there and it runs to the ball of the foot. And there are three parts to it. There's a medial band, a central band, and a lateral band. What happens is it's a form of tendonitis. So being on your feet a lot, certain foot types, like very severe flat feet or flat feet in general, even a high arch foot, they all can contribute to this inflammation and overuse. And so that little band gets in, inflamed. Typically, it's around the medial and the central band that most people have pain in, their, in, in along the arch. It can extend into the arch. Um, and that area gets inflamed and it causes pain. So most people, the hallmark that I look for and I, I've learned is that they have pain first step in the morning. Mm-hmm. When they get out of bed, they're like, my heel hurts immediately. And they say, it takes a few minutes for me to warm up and then I get moving and I feel better. Or at the end of a long day of being on my feet, my feet hurt and I have a deep achy pain or even a burning pain, a sharp pain. Or even certain shoes, I have a lot of patients that are, they work in factories and they wear steel toe shoes and they work on concrete surfaces and that wreaks havoc on their feet. Um, I suffer from it. The first time I developed it, I stood in the surgery for six hours for total ankle replacement. And I was wearing not the best shoes for a six hour surgery because I didn't know I was doing six hour surgery with this attending. And my feet were killing me at the end of the day. And so I developed that and I started treating it on myself. And so everything I tell my patient to do is because I do it myself. The way I always kind of describe it to my patients is basically like you have a cover on the bottom of your foot. It's kind of like some wrapping paper, kind of like a present. And when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you start having tears that start tearing the bottom of that wrapping paper on the bottom of your foot. 
And so when you're stretching out your toes in the morning, you start developing, it stretches out that piece of paper, but then it also like starts creating little tears at the bottom of your foot as you warm up. Like Dr. Meltzer says, throughout the day, your pain usually improves. So I've had it in both mm-hmm. of my feet before. As soon as I get and wake up in the morning, hop down on the bed, ouch, that hurts. And then gradually throughout the day, it starts to get better. Um, do, does wearing the wrong shoes like corns and calluses sometimes cause plantar fasciitis or is it more so like what you said earlier, the prolonged standing also, also, so like obesity may also be a cause of plantar fasciitis as well. Yes. Um, it's more of along the, sec- the second part of what you said, um, just certain foot types, high, high arch, flat feet. Um, there's a condition called equinus in which your foot doesn't fully move it doesn't stretch fully to its full capacity so you have some tightness and that tightness is more in the, the back of your leg and it's due to like your your achilles and your your calf muscles not being fully elongated so as a result you compensate for that that lack of full motion and so your heel takes the, the brunt of that and as a result you develop that contracture and tendon and inflammation around that tendon and tendonitis um yes obesity can contribute that because a lot of times it flattens out your arch um a lot of military patients develop it over time because they mm. have so such high impact jobs. And then a lot of them have flat feet. So if you already go on with flat feet and then you have this high impact position of being, you know, you're jumping out of planes or you're being deployed overseas and you're doing all this high impact stuff, it does wear on your body at some point. So how do you treat it? So typically I do, um, well, ultrasound to look at the plantar fascia band and assess the thickness of the plantar fascia and see if there's inflammation along it, which most of the time, by the time people come and see me, it's been going on for quite a few months or even years. So I always see that there. Um, I also do a, a x-ray and to see if there's a heel spur because that, while it's not the primary source of the pain, it does contribute secondary to the pain in terms of it, the positioning of it, it can rub little micro tears into the plantar fascia and cause additional pain and inflammation. Um, also, I do an injection for those who are, are brave enough to, to get an injection on the first visit. Um, if they don't, we usually compromise and I tell them, hey, you're going to stretch. I give them stretching exercises, not just stretching, moving your foot up and down, but stretching the posterior part of your leg, the calf, the Achilles area, which is the most important thing I tell people that even when you feel better, continue to stretch because it's always a good thing to do. As we get older, we're not as limber as we were. We were six, seven, two years old, you know, where we're just full of cartilage and everything hasn't solidified. So stretching is the most important thing to do. Also changing your shoes for those who don't wear the proper shoes. Changing your shoes is important. Some people, that's all they needed to do was change your shoes and it made a world of a difference. I tell them, treat the bottom of your shoes, the traction, the grip on the bottom of your shoes, like how you do the tread on the tire of your car. When that tire is bald, you go get new tires because it no longer will have the traction that you need when you need to stop, come to a complete stop. And if it's raining or slick or something you hit, you won't be able to stop like you should. Same thing with the shoes. If you have a completely worn down shoe, it's no longer beneficial to your foot. It feels good because it's broken in really well. But at that point, that shoe needs to be demoted to the garden and the trash shoe that you take the trash out in, that you go in the yard and work in because. Grass cutting shoes, them paw paw shoes, because <laughs> at that point <laughs> they're just not beneficial. Um, and for those who are active athletes and runners, and especially for marathon runners or just long distance runners or walkers, people that walk three or four miles a day, your shoes aren't going to last you typically as long as a person who's more non who's just non active compare in comparison. So you're going to go through a shoe probably every six to eight months. You're going to need a shoe quicker than a person that doesn't do as much. They might be able to go a year to a year and a half without changing their shoes. So what stretches are the most helpful for plantar fasciitis for the calf stretches? What what do you have your patients do? So, so the wall stretches where, you know, the old school stretch where you lean against the wall, you put your foot up against and you stretch and you feel that good pull. Um, I also have something I keep in the office and um, some people can order it. It's called a night splint. And that night splint basically dorsiflexes or just pulls your foot towards you. And it straps, you strap strap your foot in and it pulls, it basically stretches for you. It's a passive way to stretch. So I tell my patients, hey, before you go to bed, sit on the couch, watch TV, put that boot on for about 30 minutes, you know, 45 minutes if if you're able to, if you can tolerate it. 
and just let that thing stretch for you. And I show them how to use it. And it does really well for them because uh, I'm I, I tell them that's the key to getting better is consistency. You have to build up a routine of consistency. So stretching there is a water bottle stretch where you freeze a water bottle and you roll your foot on it. And so it's stretching your foot, but it also feels good because it's nice and cold. And when your foot is aching and have burning pain, it's just just tender in general. That's just going to soothe it in general for at least 10 to 15 minutes if you're able to withstand that. But at least at the bare minimum, five minutes will be good. Um, towel stretching where you take a towel and you put it in the center of your arch and you pull it towards yourself is very, very mm-hmm. helpful because it just stretches the plantar fascia band, releases it in, in terms of tension and contracture, but it also feels good on your calf and your Achilles. A lot of people have Achilles and, and calf pain because they're just not stretching. And for those who they do those things or they're not compliant enough to do it and they think they're doing it, um, I send them physical therapy. I'm a big fan of physical therapists. Because they help make my world go round. They really help my patients. For those who are in the acute phase or for the chronic phase patients, um, I always send my patients to them and they they usually kind of push against it. They don't want to do it. But when they come back and see me, they're like, Doc, thank you for sending me. I'm grateful that you sent me because I thought I was stretching on my own. I was Googling some stuff and I thought I was doing it right, but I wasn't doing enough. TikTok didn't teach me those stretches. <laughs> YouTube didn't either. YouTube, you can learn how to change the oil on YouTube. <laughs> right, but I can attest to some of those stretches that Dr. Melcher mentioned, especially the stretching using a towel. I've used a big bath towel and basically putting it over my toes in the middle of my foot and kind of pulling it back and just holding it there for about 20 seconds so I can get that good stretch in. She mentioned the water bottle. So it's basically just you rubbing the bottom of your foot on a, with, with a water bottle. I've also used like a massage ball and replace of a water bottle, just on a small little massage ball. And that I can feel the popping of the fascia on my foot as it um, starts to kind of loosen up. So I know some uh, podiatrists thumbs up and thumbs down on injections for plantar fasciitis. Like, what's what's your general opinion on that? Um, I'm not against it. I think that there's a limit to it, and not just a limit from the scientific standpoint and general journal articles and data that proves that it's not beneficial after certain. Well, it's more detrimental, harmful after a certain period of time. Because steroids, it, when you keep injecting steroids near tendons, you can lead to ruptures and all sorts of bad things come with that. Um, but I just think if we're doing repeated injections, then what are, what are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? If that's what it takes to get better and it only lasts for a short period of time, after at least two to three injections in conservative treatment, then we have to really address the true source of what's going on in terms of this is not getting better. Let's talk about doing surgery. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. So typically I usually um, I usually address it the first thing, first go around. I tell them the conservative treatments and I say, hey, if these things don't work, we will more than likely lead to surgery. This is where we're going to be headed. So that way, when it gets to that point, it's not a shock. It's like, OK, well, your Dr. Melcher did tell me the first visit that this was a possibility. I was hoping it wouldn't be, but I'm not completely caught off guard that that's where we are. OK. So let's go on to the next category, toenail fungus. Yeah. I have seen some toenail fungus in my practice that keeps me up at night. I always, for my patients, when they come in for a physical, I have them take off their shoes. I tell them I want to literally check them from head to toe. And then sometimes when I see their feet, I'm like, is this um, an owl or a bald eagle? Like, look at these toenails. What's going on here? So give us a a basic definition of toenail fungus. All right. Let me try to figure out the long short of it. But it's just an invasion of the nail due to either a fungal component, which is the majority of the time. It could even be a yeast component to it that causes discoloration, thickness of the nail, even bacterial component, because bacteria is everywhere. Uh, so it's not uncommon to see bacteria in a, a nail specimen that I do a nail biopsy uh, on, that it comes back saying that there's um, fungal element as well as bacterial element or even a yeast element as well. So fungus is among us, it's everywhere. It loves the dark, damp environment of our shoes, our socks. 
Uh, a lot of people like to walk barefoot, which exposes you to picking up anything um, out there, um, not just fungus, but even plantar warts, things of that nature. But um, a lot of people end up coming to see me with fungus years after they had it. I have some 80 year olds that come in and like, I have, I didn't have fungus for 50 years. What can you do to clear my nails up? And I'm just like, okay, you know, we're going to start with, you know, the polishes, the creams. I, I won't go into too much until you ask more questions, but um, mm-hmm. that's just a long short of it. It's just an invasion of the nail due to a fungal component um, or bacteria or even yeast. Okay. So besides the color issue that can happen with toenail fungus, what other problems can the fungus lead to? Um, just overall just a, a unpleasing appearance of the toenails i mean they can all change some people may have one nail that's discolored and that's actually a little easier to treat but eventually it can spread to the others and if it just goes untreated for an extended period of time it's just hard to reverse it if you've had like i said for that patient that's 80 that's had fungal toenails since they were 20 and they were in the military and they went 60 years without treating it it's, it's very hard to undo 60 years of nail changes and damage and I tell them, I mean, we're going to try our best to start with this conservative treatment of polishes and creams. I don't really usually give them the antifungal tablets at that point because they're older. Their bodies probably can't handle it. And they're also usually on a list of medications that it could interact with, as well as if they have any liver component um, or any liver issues. That's a component that could be detrimental. So I won't even bother with it if they're that far gone. Can the fungus lead to the nail breaking down or uh, the foot starting to have pain? Well, usually they have pain because of pressure, because if that nail becomes really thickened and elongated and it's hard for them to cut it, then they usually, that, long, that nail usually becomes very long and then it starts to press into the shoes. And if that becomes a lot of issues and then I've had patients that have come in with long, thick fungal toenails that even curve down into the skin and that could lead to an ingrown and that ingrown could become infected and they can just you know, just trickle down into other things like a domino effect. Um, and the main thing is just, even if you're not able to clear it up, just keeping the, the nails trimmed at a decent length. A lot of times toenails being very long cause so much pain that that could be alleviated if they just trim their nails. Who should they go to and to trim their nails? Me, a podiatrist. <laughs> um, <laughs> the reason I say that is because the nail salons typically don't want to tackle that at all. And they're like, y'all don't pay me enough to do this. And sometimes they're just not equipped to do it. And if they cut you or cut too close or push your cuticles back too much and you end up getting an infection, then it's a whole other set of issues and you're going to end up coming to me anyway. So I tell people, you know, especially my diabetic patients, I say, just come to me, let me trim your nails. I'll take care of them. And then you can go there for the polishing and all the other fancy stuff that comes with a nice pedicure. But just start here, get the basics done, and then you can go from there which a lot of fungal infections come from nail salons. Okay. All right. So what are the nail salons not doing? Cleaning their tools properly sometimes? Yeah, they're not cleaning their tools. They're not disinfecting the basins and tubs. A lot of them use the liners, but I still they still need to clean the tub. You know, you can line it. You can change the liner constantly, and that does help, but just disinfecting things. I tell patients, if you walk in an establishment – and you don't see them pull out a fresh pack of instruments to, to use on you or take those instruments out of the disinfecting solution um, or even just simple, the, ch- the facility is just not clean or up to standard, then don't pay your money for that service because it's not worth it. And they may be mad at you, but I'd rather be them, them be mad at me and I have my foot. <laughs> I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> just bring your own tools and let them do your feet. So go on Amazon I mean, and buy your own tools. <laughs> But there are plenty of salons where you actually purchase your own packet of, of nail clippers, all that. So they have a pack and you, and it's only for you. And so I tell people just re-review, seek out the most clean places. I mean, I've had patients come, come back with fungal infection from going to nail salons, staph infections. I've had all sorts of stuff come to me from nail salons. So just be careful. I'm not speaking ill against um, nail salons. I think they, they serve a purpose. It's just do your homework. So you kind of mentioned this earlier about you doing biopsies on tail nail funguses. What's the benefit of doing a biopsy and how often do you do them? Well, typically I deal with them on the 
atypical nails in terms of they don't quite look like fungus. They may have a, a discoloration, a streak or something that's just abnormal about them. But the thick yellow crumbly nails that automatically I know that's fungus. I'm not going to bother to that because I already know what it is. I know what it's going to respond to. Or a nail that I thought, okay, this is going to respond to X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't necessarily take to that after X, after an extended period of time. I may biopsy it to see if it's something else. Could it be, you know, a cancerous, you know, lesion in the nail that's embedded in the nail? Could it be, you know, something else leading to that appearance, that change in appearance of the nail that is leading to this not responding to treatment? Um, and then I'll biopsy it. But nine times out of ten, if it like I said, if you look at a duck, it smells quite like a duck. It's a duck. So with fungus, after you've seen it enough times, it's the same thing with things you do. After you see certain things enough times, you pretty much know what it is. But it doesn't hurt to be, you know, 100% accurate and send it to the lab and have them run it and see exactly what fungus is in it. So that way I know that the um, polish or antifungal creams or the medication, the tablet I'm given, that is going to target that specific fungus. And bacteria well, too. since you already mentioned it let's get into treatment options for toenail fungus i know there's pills there's creams ointments there's debridement so give us a rundown of which treatments kind of work best for toenail fungus so i'll be honest as long as the patient is healthy they're not taking any cholesterol medication statin medications they don't have any liver issues um, even if it was of the past and they're currently okay i can put them on terbinafine which is also known as lamacil it's a tablet that you take for 90 days and after that it remains in your bloodstream for an extended period of time but no matter what treatment i give them i tell patients up front this is a long process this is not something that's going to be resolved in a week or two your nails have been fungal for five years it's not going to clear up in five weeks it takes time. And our toenails, if we were to remove them, they take almost a year to completely grow out in full length. So I tell patients, give yourself a year. Give yourself a year of being. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the tough part because we're, we're just impatient people. We want things done right away. But I, I go and I lead with that so they understand that this is going to be a long process. I have to be consistent with my care to see the best outcome. If you're doing this sporadically, if you're taking a tablet here and there, if you're doing the uh, polishes, a cyclopyrox polish, or also over-the-counter version known as fungi nail. It's a polish you paint on the nails once a day. Um, that's hard to do for a lot of people, especially for those who can't reach their feet. So if you live alone, you don't have anybody that can really help you, that can be quite a bit of a challenge. Um, but I tell the patients, just do the best you can. You want to be as consistent as you can be. Um, and, and they actually do. Um, there's creams. The creams and the polishes work from the outside in, in terms of attacking the nail, the nail root or matrix. So it takes a lot longer for them to factor in because you have different outside elements of factoring into that versus the tablet mm-hmm. works internally through your bloodstream and it's going straight to the source. It still takes some time, but it's a lot more effective and quicker to see results over time than it does for the polish. I've seen results with both, but it just takes time. Uh, the biggest thing I tell patients is even with the polish, it works. I see better results for those who have a mild case of fungus, fungus infection of their toenails. If you catch it when you first start to see the discoloration, it's a lot easier to treat. Um, so I tell patients, you know, I know, you know, it's, it's things get away from us and you get this fungus in your toenails and you think, oh, it's just going to resolve itself. I'm going to do some white vinegar soaks. I'm going to do some tea tree oil soaks at home. I'm going to I've had patients say Vaseline. I mean, not Vaseline. Um, Vicks Vapor Rub. They put that on their feet. And there are, you know, articles out there about it. Um, I tell people, I personally haven't seen it improve. I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but I tell people with those home remedies, you have to be very careful of the source of who told you that and how you're going to respond. Just because that other person did it and it did well for them, that that is not always the case for you. And don't ignore the signs. If things are taking a turn to the left, please come in here and let me take care of your foot. Since I put that Vicks Vapor up on my feet, they haven't coughed since. Lord Jesus. And I (laughs) smell good. I'm telling you, feet smell like nothing but menthol and and funk. (laughs) (laughs) So do the nails ever go all the way back to normal or they just get better as far as color and thickness? So it just depends on the severity. For the very severe cases, it may not completely clear up. So it, if anything, patients will say, okay, I noticed the nail has lightened up. It's not as dark and as it was before. It's not as thick and as it was before. And that's a bonus. That's that They're fine with that because they're like, I knew it was an uphill battle 
going into this because I've had these toenails for so long in terms of his appearance. For those who I catch early, I've had a guy with his nails were completely black. And within seven, eight months, his nails cleared up pretty, pretty quickly. And he was very satisfied. Um, so it's all about consistency and patience, as well as trying to tackle it early on. Are there new, some new potential treatment options coming in the future? I did a little reading and they talked mm-hmm. about maybe like photodynamic therapy and plasma therapy helping out toenail fungus. Um, I, I have really researched that as much in terms of effectiveness, but there's laser treatments. Um, I personally, I've done quite a few laser treatments and I typically pair it with something else. I don't do it as a sole treatment form. I, if I'm doing the laser treatments, I'm also going to do it with a polish or the antifungal tablet because I feel like in a sense, quote unquote, throwing the kitchen sink at you is better than just one thing. I feel like if we can tackle it from different modes of tr- uh, treatment, it, something's going to stick. And it's always good to have, in addition to a tablet or a polish that if you're going to do the laser, it's just combating it from different angles, if that makes sense. Um, but the plasma treatment, yeah. I can't say it's effective. I, I'm i not against it. If it's something that somebody will, is willing to try, I personally just have not done it. Okay. So as we kind of wrap up, what lasting words of wisdom can you leave for people to keep their feet nice and healthy? This makes me think of like the rainbow and these is a mirror. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, just... Take care of your feet. You only get one pair. So just take care of them the best you can. And, and when things turn for the take a turn for the left, don't be afraid to seek treatment. Lotion your feet. Wear properly fitting shoes. Are there any shoes that you tell your patients to stay away from? I tell my patients to don't wear Uggs. Not because they don't. Um, it's more my older they, patients. They hurt their feet. They just don't look good. So I tell my <laughs> patients don't wear Uggs. Um, I tell my patients to shoot it, not to wear like just the ill-fitting shoe, like that church shoe, that old church shoe that has like the gator, the gators, the leather shoes that had that narrow toe box that does favors to nobody. It's going to hurt your feet. So I tell them, stop wearing those, get a different shoe, um, boat shoes, those little like Spiri type of shoes. They're not bad shoes if you're wearing them here and there, but for people that make them their everyday shoe, they just don't, they wear out quickly and they don't give you any support. So I just, just tell people, like I said about the thing about the tread on the bottom of the shoe and the tire, pay attention to those things. Those are one of the quick reminders that it's time to change your shoes and the sizing, the width and the sizing of your shoe. Those are the three components I would say that you need to pay attention to in any shoe you have. Okay. So as we conclude, I always end with Randy's random questions. So are you ready, Dr. Melcher? Okay. I'm ready. Yes, yes, you seem so excited. <laughs> so, I know, like me, you're a big basketball fan. So, I'm going to give you three players. Uh-huh. You got to start one, you got to bench one, and you got to cut one. Okay. So, the three players Shaq, one of your favorite players, Tim Duncan. Okay. And Hakeem the Dream Elijah. Oh my God! Really? You gonna give me those three? Yes. Okay, yes. so I got to start. Three gotta, big men. I got to start. I got to bench. Gotta start and I gotta one. Cut. You got to bench one, and you got to cut one. No, we no. Those three. I have to ask before I even answer this. Do I get to base this opinion on how their career spanned, like how it panned out from start to finish, like all of that, so I can in, in terms of how I do it? You're doing it based upon them at their prime. Oh, however geez. you want to organize this. Yeah. All right. So, all right. I am going to start Shaq because Shaq in his prime, you couldn't guard him. He was a physical specimen. He's seven, two with three, three fifty, just solid. Um, and not so many people. I mean, they had, they created hacker Shaq because of him. Uh, so I'm starting Shaq. Mm-hmm. Just going to hurt me. This one really going to hurt. But I am going to bench Hakeem Olajuwon, and I'm going to cut Tim Duncan. And I know you didn't think I was going to do that. And I, because no, Hakeem, I, did not. I am, you know, Houston blood bleeds through me, true and true. I, I love H-Town. That's my heart and soul. And Hakeem Olajuwon gave us two championships. The dream shake will always, always be forever mimicked by many people. I mean, 
the late Kobe Bryant even went to go train with King. Everybody trains uh-huh. with Hakeem. Embiid needs to get back in there and train with Hakeem. So I got to go with Hakeem. You can't do too much. I mean, Hakeem abused David Robinson when the MVP came out. We remember that. He abused Shaq. Uh-huh. He took yeah. that personal. He did. He abused Shaq. And I think he would have gave the Bulls and Jordan a little run for their money had had they made it through the, the, the playoffs like that. So, yeah, I, 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 I hate to have to, to cut Timmy, but against those two people, Tim, well, see, I can kind of play around with that because Timmy didn't really, he wasn't a center. He was a power forward, so he didn't even really in the same category with those two. The, the you know, he out there playing center at the end. At the end, but by then, he was on the back end. David, you know, David Robinson was the center for them. So if we going uh-huh. off of technicalities, then I would say, yeah, let's just cut him. I hate to do it, but because Tim, Tim was great. But I got to, he's the weakest out of the three. Can you do the dream shake? No. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do the dream shake. I was not a post player. I was I was out on the perimeter. That was I was a Reggie Miller type of a player. I wanted to be Reggie Miller and and trying to think of a WBA player. I, I wanted to be like actually my favorite WBA player at the time growing up was Jeanette Arcane, who a lot of people don't even know who that is. Mm-hmm. I can dream shake just a little bit. Just I can little, do the move, but then I get dizzy. <laughs> Yeah, I get dizzy after that. I, I I I get them to fake out, and the next thing you know, I'm missing Hakeem the shot. The it's like they didn't went the wrong way, and me too. Hakeem the Dream, the Nigerian nightmare. He he was a force. He's very underrated. Like seriously, he doesn't get enough credit and respect. All right. So my second random question: If you had to wear a specific pair of J's or Nikes for the rest wow. of your life. Which pair would they be and why? Lord have mercy. Um, well, it's not going to be a pair oh, of Jordans. I, I know you will, so I know what questions to it, ask you specifically. It, you know, I'm going against the grain. It's not going to be a pair. Of, I really don't even want to pick a pair of Nikes or Jordans to wear for the rest of my life. But you're giving me no choice. Um, no pair of Jordans because mm-hmm. Jordans are fashionable, but they're not comfortable. So I'm probably going to go with. I mean, I'm just doing a mental Rolodex of like what's in my closet, and uh, I think that's a lot of shoes in there. A lot, a lot. Um, dang, I'm trying to think which pair have I just pulled out and wore recently? I'm probably gonna go with my fly knits, my Nike fly knits. They're more comfortable. My Nike fly knits. These are low top, high top. I got, I got to look up a picture of those. Uh, they're low tops. They're they're low tops. Um, okay. They're really comfortable. Um, oh. My favorite pair, my pink and green uh, Nike uh, scoffles. I think that's what they're called. They're like, mm-hmm. um, they're very, very comfortable. That would be my runner up. And then my uh, honorable mention, which is not even a Nike or Jordan, is actually the Yeezys because they're very comfortable. Like, I'm talking about, feel like walking on clouds. Like, I can get through a whole day and my foot doesn't even bother me. Like, I was shocked. I don't even, you know, I don't even rock with Yeezy like that anymore. <laughs> but those shoes, I actually got them from a little sneaker shop that I probably paid too much money for them. But I wore them with some other shoes, but I wore them on my trip to Greece where we did a lot of walking and my feet were fine. Which Yeezys? They were the Yeezy, I think they were the 700s. No, 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 they weren't the 700s. Okay. They were, hold on, let me see. I'm going to tell you exactly which ones because they're like, um, they're the Boost, the Yeezy Boost 350s. And they were like a um, an off white okay. color. They I would probably buy two or three more pairs because they were just that comfortable. When I'm on my feet all the time, I even wear them in surgery because they're just that comfortable. I wear those over my clogs. Yeah, I mean I wear shoe covers on my shoe on my feet. If I have a messy case that's going to be bloody and stuff, I'm not going to wear them. But um, the clogs because they're more sturdy, hard shoe. They 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 hurt after a certain amount of time. But the Yeezys they do fine. My body doesn't hurt after a, a three four hour surgery. All right, Portia, money making <laughs> melcher. Every damn Yeezys in the middle of surgery. Yeah, well, I mean, they covered <laughs> they up. They should have never let y'all have money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't have gave me anything. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we done came a long way from undergrad. I'm telling you, long way. All right. So thanks for being on the podcast with me. 
Y'all go and take care of your feet, lotion your feet, buy comfortable fitting shoes, and take care of your toes as well. You have 10 of them, but the goal is to keep all 10. I don't want you losing any. So thanks again, Dr. Melcher, for being on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. As you can see, foot health is very important. Over your lifetime, you get a lot of wear and tear on your feet, and it is very important to take care of your feet. Wear comfortable shoes, keep your feet moisturized, and check your feet on a regular basis. Thank you, Dr. Melcher, for being on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. You're a true friend, even though you can be petty sometimes. I appreciate our friendship. Thank you to my healthy listeners for listening. Be sure to rate, like, and subscribe. Share this episode with others. Check out my website if you already haven't done so, drrandymd.com, and, and sign up for my email list. I'll be sending out a health newsletter in a few months, and I'm sure you will want some of that great health information on the newsletter. Follow me on social media at underscore Dr. Randy, and have a great week. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally.